0: Good morning, church family. Our scripture reading for today is Matthew chapter 10, verses one through 33. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother, John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons, you received without paying, give without pay acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff for the laborer deserves his food and whatever town or village you enter find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart as you enter the house greet it and if the house is worthy let your peace come upon it but if it is not worthy let your peace return to you And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you and their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my father who is in heaven.
1: Amen. It's good to read. I'm enjoying our study of Matthew so much and I want to encourage you this morning, but it's going to be a little difficult to hear. The reason is we we take our encouragement like coffee. I don't drink coffee. So one of the things that amuses me about you coffee drinkers out there is how you fight about how you quote unquote take your coffee and if it's not according to your standards well you don't like it near as much you, you develop, you acquire a taste for your coffee a certain way. Well this is what we tend to do with encouragement as well. We have developed a taste uh, uh, acquired a sense in which we take our encouragement and if it doesn't come like that then we don't like it as much but I want to remind you of something. A hope like a hope in anything that is false ultimately will not encourage you. If you are chasing a hope in something that is false, it's not going to encourage you. And the reason that's so important is because so many of us cling to a prosperity gospel. I'm not talking about the people out there, I'm talking about us. And you say, no, 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 I don't do that i know if i follow jesus i don't become rich i mean i get it and and that's true there's not an expectation for many of you specifically about money but you do have this expectation that's built up in you that if you follow jesus if you're faithful then you can expect certain degrees of comfort leisure peace happiness a stress-free family to a certain degree there are these expectations that we think if we are in the will of God our daily life should be well pretty well comfortable and happy and yet Peter says beloved do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you and then John says Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. This is Peter and John, arguably the disciples closest to Jesus. And in two completely different letters, it's crazy that they say the exact same thing. Don't be surprised. This is going to be hard. Don't let it catch you by surprise. The world is going to hate you. Once enemies of God as children of Adam, we are now enemies of the world as children of God. See, we are identified with Christ for those of us who are his disciples and therefore enemies of the world, a traitor to the evil that masters the hearts of fallen men. That is who we are in Christ. And that's not really a comfortable message. That's not one that goes, man, that makes me feel good. The world's going to hate me. But it is an encouraging reality that identifies us with Jesus. And that is a great encouragement. See, we live in an age where encouragement, hope, even mental health, is treated by what the world calls personal truth, personal truth. It's mm, this therapy, this relief, or this uh, just uh, healing treatment, if you will. This therapy that is found in rejecting some very basic things in order that you might pursue what is Quote unquote true to you. So we reject our physical gender and we claim personal truth. We reject and redefine marriage and we claim our personal truth. We reject and reprioritize work and leisure and we claim our personal truth see in this age there is a false christianity that aims to accommodate our illusion of personal truth and suppress absolute truth for shallow therapeutic comforts and while the motives seem kind loving even missional church listen it's evil it's evil love rejoices In truth, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. See, Jesus encouraged his disciples with deep truths, not just shallow comforts, deep truths, hard ones, but truths that were built on everlasting, absolute realities of what it meant to find identity in him. And that's exactly what we're going to find in chapter 10. Jesus loves his disciples. He loves us. And his word is not designed to just like bum us out. But neither is it designed to just offer you shallow comforts for things that are fleeting. No, in love, truth is revealed. Even hard truth that we might rejoice in the encouraging reality of the gospel that we might look to him and count it all joy. Do you hear all of it. Count it all joy, not counting the trials of this world worth comparing to what lies ahead. Encouragement and faith and hope. And so, Father, this morning, give us wisdom. Father, give us encouragement. Give us a high view of your word, and Lord, I pray that it does encourage us, that it transforms us, it gives us a deeper understanding of who you are and who you have called us to be, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Chapter 10 communicates uh, really a, a, a kind of just an incredible section in the Gospels. If you remember, chapter 8 and 9 kind of introduced Jesus' authority. And chapter 9 ended by this acknowledgement that the laborers are few. And so chapter 10 begins these first four verses and identifies what we know as the 12 disciples. And in verse 5 through 15, you get this instruction that is given specifically to them that leads them into this first missionary journey and beyond and then verses 16 through 23 you kind of get context in other words how will they be received by the world what reaction can they expect and what makes chapter 10 a little tricky just to be honest is it's communicated within layers of time much like the old testament in some of its prophetic writing in other words you have this immediate time which they are being given instructions to this first missionary journey they are about to go on it's specific instruction to those 12 at that time and then you have this future instruction that looks ahead to the new testament or the church mission that will begin after the ascension of jesus and there's instruction for them and teaching for them in that and for the early church and for us and then there's this kingdom future timeline that even looks ahead to the tribulation and the second coming and so you're going to see even little noticeable terms like the term apostle is going to be used and the term disciple is going to be used and you're going to have all these things kind of swirling around in this one flowing communication in these three timelines and as we walk through this I don't want you to dismiss the fact that there are general principles and instructions that are spoken straight to us Authentic Jesus followers in East Tennessee today. And so verse 16 is where we're going to begin our focus. It's where we can begin to see many of these principles and instructions given to Jesus' disciples. In verse 16, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Our big truth. Jesus' followers are sent into a dangerous world. I told you this was going to be encouraging, right? Jesus' followers are sent into a dangerous world. Now, when we talk about being sent, I want to make sure you understand something. We think of being sent, and especially in this context, is like, I sign up for my short-term mission trip. I sign up to be a missionary. It's like another step that you, like, you know, choose, it's something you choose to do. This isn't how this is communicated. The actual term means they are thrust out. They are thrust out. Being a disciple of Jesus, they did not have a choice. It wasn't like he said, hey, which of you would like to go on the short-term mission trip? I've got a great opportunity for you. This is more what it means to follow Jesus, to be identified with him. They are thrust out because they identify with Jesus it is a reality of their identity as a disciple and so you would think if Jesus is going to thrust them out man they would go out as like the alpha predator right I mean kick tail take names I mean they're going to conquer the world except Jesus says no you're going to be sheep they're going to be the wolves I'm sending you out as sheep among the wolves he is direct and he is honest with them you are going to be the prey defenseless they are the wolves the predators they will bring the danger he goes on and he describes their situation he says you will be flogged verse 17 put to death verse 21 hated verse 22 Imagine if that's how we promoted our next missionary trip, short-term mission trip. Guys, if you'd like to sign up, you're going to get flogged. Some of you will be put to death, but you're all going to be hated. Who's signing up? You want to let your kids go? We'd love for them to sign up. And even as you think through that, if you'll give yourself just a moment of true, like, inner, like, evaluation, In this setting, this isn't an add-on. This is just the reality of what it means to identify with Jesus, to follow him, to be his disciples. In other words, this is what you pray for when you pray for your kids to know Jesus. It is that they are identified with him. That they go out into the world as sheep among wolves. See, almost all the apostles will be martyred. They will be targets of slander and abuse and various forms of persecution. And it's not just them. Every New Testament Jesus follower we read about that is leading and serving in the church is constantly being attacked by wolves. Why? Don't you wonder why? I wonder why. Why are the disciples of Jesus hated and attacked? Well, in verse 18, Jesus says, for my name's sake. Verse 22, he says, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. See, that's our answer. It is because they identify with Jesus. And Jesus has thrust them out as his ambassadors. Paul says to a young Timothy, indeed, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ, death to self, life in Jesus, will be persecuted. That's a promise. So there's a question that you have to ask, and I think I have to ask, and it's one that just, honestly, I've wrestled with for years, and I don't quite have a great answer for it, but I want to ask it anyway. Why don't we... Why don't you, why don't I face more persecution today, face more hate today than we do? I don't think there's a simple answer to that question. I think there are certainly seasons in which God shows mercy and grace. There are seasons of rest that he gives his church. But I think if we're honest, it's hard to take a high view of scripture and not think that we have watered down the gospel and the definition of what it means to follow Jesus. And that the fake Christianity that our culture and our world experiences does not thrust us out as sheep among wolves. See, R.C. Sproul was asked this question and. His answer was, the message of the gospel has become a message of therapy. And we're not talking about just the gospel that is preached by preachers that you hear in the church. The gospel that is voiced and lived out by you, by your family members, by your friends, by your co-workers, by your neighbors. This gospel that is present all around us. And he goes on and he says, people are not looking for good news. Rather, they are looking for good advice. And most of the advice they want, how to have peace with their children, how to get along in their marriages, how to be successful in their business, they can get from anyone without reading a page of the Bible. This is why even in our churches, we are saturated with people who dismiss the scripture for the lie that their need is something More practical. You ever hear that? I I, I need something more practical. Church, listen, we need more scripture. We need more biblical theology, not less. Those that say it isn't practical, they have a low view of scripture. See, they are seeking a shallow therapy from this world for this world. Not transformational. Repentance. kingdom living they're two different things and see the gospel is good news it's not merely advice if God is holy if God has wrath if God would send his son to die to cover the penalty of sin then we are in desperate need of the cross it's not just advice we need. We need the cross and see the problem is that this message of the cross, this message of the gospel, death to self, that I have nothing to offer, that I am broken and sinful and an enemy of God who needs redeem. Death to self, and life in Jesus, and Jesus alone, this message is hated by wolves. See no self-deceiving predator wants to be confronted concerning his own brokenness, and yet that is the gospel message that is described in the New Testament, it's death to self, life in Jesus. An identity that thrusts us out as sheep into a world of wolves. So do not be surprised if the world hates you. Do not be surprised if life is hard. If you're tired. If you're stressed. If you're struggling to get your emotions lined up. This life is hard. And Jesus goes on and he unpacks this further. We're going to go through these in a few big ideas and we're going to do these quickly. But I want you to see some things that he gives to bring clarity to this situation. So first big idea, Jesus' followers are sent into a dangerous world, so be careful. Be careful. Verse 16, be wise as serpents. So in case they misunderstood what Jesus meant by sheep and he thought they meant you know, kind of stupid and frantic and just kind of reactive like sheep, because we also know they're that too. That's not what's happening here. Sheep is describing their defenselessness, they're not going out as predators. So he says, Be wise as serpents. In other words, shrewd, calculating, discerning. The term that gets used throughout the Bible is one that says, Be careful. Be strategic, be alert, be purposeful. Joshua says, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do. He goes on again in verse 8 in chapter 1 and says, so that you may be careful to do. In Joshua 23, 11, he says, be careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. Paul, writing to the Ephesians, says, look carefully then how you walk. So we don't run out aimlessly. We run out with purpose. We are careful. By the way, that's why Tri-Cities Baptist Church has a plan for parents called the Family Discipleship Plan. It's not the plan, it's a plan. But if you're parenting your children and you're discipling them with absolutely no plan, you're not being very careful. So we want to help you have a plan. Jesus says, be careful. Be wise as serpents. Next, Jesus' followers are sent into a dangerous world, so be pure of heart. Be innocent as doves and again in case they misunderstand the serpent and they kind of see the serpent to be malicious out for himself mean scary because I think they're kind of scary he says no be pure like a dove be harmless be pure be gentle it really means to be unmixed or uncompromised in our intentions And we see this, again, used throughout the scriptures. It basically means not to be double-minded. James says it really well. He says, purify your hearts, contrast, you double-minded people. We are to be focused and purposeful in our intentions, always pure, always on our identity in Christ. Next, Jesus' followers are sent into a dangerous world. Beware of men, he says in verse 17. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Skip to verse 21. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise up against their parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. For the one who endures to the end will be saved. We, men and women, are the wolves. We don't fight against one another. But we are the vehicles for the evil that runs rampant through our hearts. And do you notice in this? There are three institutions that Jesus calls out. First, the synagogues, the religious institutions. Second, the courts, the government institutions. Third, the brother, the father, the children, the institution of the family. These would seem to be safe places. And are we not tempted to run to them? To find our encouragement, to find our safety, to find our comfort. And yet, Jesus is saying to them what is hope to be safe is wolf territory. Next, Jesus' followers are sent into a dangerous world. Press on, he tells them. Verse 23 When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next flee. Again, back to the idea of the serpent. Be careful. Adapt as you can. Go to the next town. Keep going. Don't just quit. It was hard. You barely escaped with your life. Don't just stay and die. Flee. Be wise. But don't stop going either. Keep going. Two things to consider here that are really important. We could spend a whole this sermon on these two things. First, the charge is to change their audience, not their message. We need to hear that. They're not charged to soften their message so that they will be better received. If their message is rejected, change your audience, go to the next town. But nowhere are they given permission to water down the message. Second, Purpose your heart, purpose in your heart to balance between anxiety and apathy. Their life is on the line. You know they are anxious. And when we are anxious, are we not tempted to be apathetic? We must find a balance between these things, careful as serpents, pure as doves. Next, Jesus' followers are sent into a dangerous world be content with Jesus' suffering. Verse 25, it is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher. It is enough means it is sufficient. It's sufficient. In other words, a teacher's result is sufficient for the student. The outcome that was given to the teacher is sufficient for the student. The student doesn't, Expect a different outcome. Let me go back to 1 Peter chapter 4. Let's let Peter explain this to us for a second. He says in verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Verse 13, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed if you are insulted for the name of Christ you are blessed because the spirit of the glory of God rests upon you rejoice you're blessed why because you are identified with Jesus and this is the very way the world reacted to him Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 8 He's talking about those who have been adopted into the family of God. He says, and if children, verse 17, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. One commentator wrote, what reads like a conditional clause is an actual simple statement of fact. Sharing the sufferings of Christ leads to sharing his glory. Obviously, we do not share the redemptive suffering of Christ. Listen, but we do share the consequences in terms of opposition from the world. See, as members of the same family, we share in the trials of life as well as the benefits, including the resurrection. We are identified with Christ in his suffering. If we are like him and being conformed into his image, how do we think the world will treat us? Do not be surprised if it hates you. Finally, Jesus' followers are sent into a dangerous world. Fear God, not wolves. Do not fear those who kill the body cannot kill the soul rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell verse 28 see to this point the picture looks pretty bleak I mean it really does and you you're thinking you said this was going to be encouraging and so far I've just told you that it's hard (laughs) this is the encouraging reality and you can't get there without the first part See, to this point, we've talked about being flogged, being hated, being killed, being sheep among wolves. We've realized that these institutions, this religion, this government, this family, all these places of safety, they may very well turn against us, and it seems like there is so much to be afraid of, so much to fear. And I am saying to you, be encouraged. The wolves have limited reach. The wolves have limited reach. They can only harm your body in this kingdom. So if you're going to be driven by fear, Jesus says, fear the one that can destroy your soul. You know the Bible never once tells us to be afraid of Satan? Never once tells us to fear Satan. See, listen, don't fear the limited reach of evil people, even Satan himself. Instead, fear the holy wrath of the one true God. You're going to fear something. He is the one to fear. See, how is this encouraging? Because Jesus' burden, which is light, isn't for the therapy of this body at this time. The gospel is death to self and life eternal in Jesus. Life in Jesus looks forward in faith, not counting the suffering of this present age worth comparing to what lies ahead. See, joy, encouragement, isn't that the suffering lessons in this kingdom? Joy isn't that the suffering lessons in this kingdom. Joy is the hope. (laughs) Listen to me. In a day where you or someone next to you is struggling with depression, anxiety, listen to me, joy is hope in our inseparable identity with Jesus that delivers victory. declares victory. It's not a shallow comfort for this day, for this body, but it is a certain hope that we look forward knowing we have already won. And so we run our race with endurance, counting it all joy because of the hope, because of the encouragement we have in our identity with Jesus. Close us by reading to you from Romans chapter 8. Team's going to come up and we're going to go into the time of response with the Lord's Supper. But listen to what Paul writes in light of these things. Verse 31 What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously? Give us all things. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor power nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do not be surprised if the world hates you. But do not be discouraged. Church, be encouraged nothing can separate you from the love of God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. As we respond in your Lord's Supper, I pray that it would lead us to a deeper understanding of who you are and who you have called us to be. I pray this in the name of your son, Jesus.